God, I pray that you bless your word now, Lord, that you would speak to your people, you would speak to your people, Lord, the people of God through the Spirit of God in the Word of God, Lord. So just, um, God, may your scriptures come alive to our eyes, Lord. Anoint this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you might have heard this one. A man dies and comes to the entrance of heaven. And of course, in these jokes, Peter meets him, right? At the pearly gates, and Peter explains to him. Okay, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things that you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item, and depending how good it was, well, when you reach 100 points, you'll get in. Okay, says the man. Well, hey, I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never cheated on her, even in my heart. Peter says, well, that's wonderful. That's worth three points. Three points. He says, okay. Well, look, I attended church all my life and and supported the ministry with my tithes. And I even served in the church. Terrific, says Peter. That's certainly worth one point. One point? What? Okay, how about this? So the man tells Peter, I started a soup kitchen in my city and worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Now, you can't get better than that, right? Fantastic, Peter says. That's good for two more points. Two points? The man is totally frustrated at this point. Two points? He says, uh, the man says, at this rate, the only way I can get into heaven is by the grace of God. Peter says, come on in. That's it, right? It's really by the grace of God that we can get to heaven. Augustine, the early church father, said, The grace of God does not find men fit for salvation, but makes them so. It's God who makes us fit for heaven. It's God who brings salvation into our lives. Well, as we continue our study here and we cross over to chapter 15 tonight in the book of Acts, we find uh, really these divisive guys had come in against the truth in salvation. And they're trying to bring in this works type of uh, addition to what Christ did on the cross. But the apostles and the leadership of the church, they're going to be putting out officially and saying that, you know what, grace is Free. And that's the title of our message tonight, Grace is Free. And actually, it's part one. Um, we're going to take the next part of our section or uh, in this chapter here uh, next time. But this is part one, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15 from verse 1 through 11. Acts 15, 1 through 11. Grace is Free, once again, is the title. And our overall outline for tonight, and we're going to add one more next week or part of uh, three, two next week. But this is our what we're going to see. We're going to see, number one, the dissension. Number two, the difference. And number three, the discussion. And number four, the decision. Now, uh, today we're going to get, tonight we're going to get into the discussion, but only part of it. Next time we'll pick it up, and then we'll finish off with the decision next time. But for tonight, for sure, we're going to hit number one, number two, number three, the dissension, the difference, and the discussion. All right. 
So once again, the title is Grace is Free, and we're going to look at Acts 15, verses 1 through 2 in this first part, and what we're going to see is the dissension, the dissension that's going on. So let's take a look at those first two verses, and it reads here in Acts 15, verse 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching their brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. All right, we'll stop right now. Now we begin here in verse 1 in chapter 15. And Luke, the writer here, he says, but some men. Well, but is a conjunction, right? It's connecting us to the last chapter. And so when he says, but some men, it's in contrast of what was going on at the end of the last chapter. If you remember, Paul and Barnabas had returned from the first missionary journey. We've been studying that for the past, what, three, four weeks now, haven't we? In chapter 13 and 14. And they returned from their first missionary journey. A lot of stuff has happened, and, and they're super excited. And if you look up at verse 27 in Acts 14, it says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared, all uh, declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So God had moved greatly. There was a revival going on in Asia Minor. There's a lot of Gentiles coming to the Lord. God had opened that opportunity, that door, and Gentiles came of faith. So Paul and Barnabas, they come back to the, to the home church in Antioch in, in Syria there, right? And we saw that last time. And they're just sharing how much God moved. God moved in a great way to save Gentiles in Jesus Christ. So, so even though they had all this opposition and this persecution, Paul got stoned, all that, the great news was people were getting saved. And that was wonderful and beautiful. So that's going on. They come and share that. But when we come into verse 15, Luke writes, But, you know, some men, some guys came in and reigned on this celebration. We see some men came down from Judea. So that's the area of Jerusalem. Uh, that's where it's a county, you could say, of, of Jerusalem, Judea. And really, this is where the staunch Jews are, the real Jewish Jew guys. And they actually, it says come down. They, um, If you go from Jerusalem, you're always coming down. But they actually end up in Antioch, north of there. And they're there at the Antioch church where Paul and Barnabas had come home and were sharing that. And so they come in there. They go there specifically. They come in and we see in verse 1, they were teaching the brothers, the believers there, unless you are circumcised according to custom of Moses, look at this, crazy, you cannot be saved. So you hear what they're saying, right? They're saying, look, you got to be circumcised. You got to really, it's wrapping in everything, the, this custom of uh, uh, even the laws and custom of Moses. I mean, if, if you don't do all this, you're not saved, especially circumcision. And so, in other words, these guys are saying, you Gentiles, you know what? You got to become a Jew first, and then you could become a Christian in Jesus. 
So they're coming in, putting this in. Now, these Jerusalem Jews, so to speak, quote unquote, they were devout. Yeah, and you can imagine it coming from Judea, from Jerusalem area, and you can imagine they had grown up, yeah, and they've been trained, they've been they they, they grew up. This was their life in the traditions of the Jews, in the laws of Moses. They were proud of their heritage, and they, they thought this is the way you follow God in this, and Jesus is great. But look, hey, we know we've been with God all these years, and and so they come in, and then hearing about Gentiles coming to faith, they're like, no, 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 no. You guys, you, you can't just push aside centuries and centuries of tradition, centuries of, you know, our worship, what we've been putting out to this world. You, you know what? You, you can't do this. this. This is not of God. So they come in saying, look, you got to be circumcised. You gotta do it according to custom, Moses and all, and then you can be saved. You can have Jesus after that, but you then can be saved. Basically, they're saying there are two steps of salvation. Get circumcised, come on, you Gentiles, go get circumcised, and then you can be saved. You can have Jesus there. Well, these people are what a lot of commentators and theologians call the Judaizers. The Judaizers, they have, uh, in the New Testament writings, even with Paul, they've come in and infiltrated the church and, and really caused a lot of havoc and false doctrine, led people astray. So these Judaizers come in trying to bring in the law to add to Jesus Christ through the gospel, and that both of these things is how you are saved. You know, it, to me, it reminded me of um, the Worldwide Church of God. That's what they're called. The founders, Herbert W. Armstrong. And he taught that the, the Christian, yeah, you have Jesus, but you have to follow the Old Testament laws to be saved. He, he went real far, like you got not only the Ten Commandments, you got you to gotta observe Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, you got to tithe like the Old Testament, 30%. You got to even follow the dietary laws that were set in the Old Testament. Basically, you got to have Jesus and the law to be saved. But that's not what we know, isn't it? Galatians 2.16, the apostle Paul wrote, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one could be justified. No one can just follow all the laws and commandments. No one can do that and be saved because, you know what, we're not perfect in that. And that's really the idea. Remember, um, uh, no, I don't remember a while back, but we were talking about the law was given, right, so that we can see what is good and bad, that we can see what is sin. We can see that, oh, we can't attain those things. So we need a Savior. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote about that. So our faith is not in how well we do with the law, but our faith is in what Jesus did. We don't rely upon what, what I do or did. I rely upon what Jesus did, and that's dying on the cross. So these guys come in in verse 1. They come in, they, 
they rain on the party here, and, and they're just like, hey, you guys, no, 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 no. You guys are all happy about Gentiles, but that's not right. They got to get circumcised if they want to be saved. So then verse 2, of course, we see Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Uh, the NLT says they argued vehemently. They would not back down because they know the truth. They know. I mean, we know Paul's writing. I just quoted him there. I mean, uh, uh, they're not going to let this go here because it is not right. It's not what the gospel really is. In Galatians chapter 2, uh, many feel that he writes a little bit. Uh, he's writing there about this time. And, and Paul writes on how he did not yield to these guys. He did not yield because so the truth of the gospel would be preserved. So you could see Paul just making a stand here on the truth of the gospel, faith in Christ. Because you know what? These guys are coming in and they're trying to rob the blessing from the Gentiles, right? They're trying to take it away from them of what God had done. So, well, this was a, such a big deal that we read in verse 2, to silence the Judaizers, Paul and Barnabas and some others were pointing out to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So they were sent out to Jerusalem to get the official word on this. And Jerusalem is like the first church, right? The early church there. And the, and the elders and leaders and apostles there are like, well, these are the, the leader guys. So let's go and get the official word on all of this. I was thinking about uh, something J. Vernon McGee said. He said, they wanted to add something to the gospel. Whenever you add something to the gospel, you no longer have the gospel, but you have religion. And isn't that true? When you start adding works, when you start adding something you got to do, that's just like every other religion in the world. I would say Christianity, uh, uh, true Christianity, is the one, only one religion, quote, unquote, that is about God doing something. All the other religions is about uh, People trying to reach up to God. But here in Christianity, God reached down to us. So here's what we see. The dissension came from Judaizers whose only concern was their political, social, traditional, and uh, re religious agenda there. That, that, that's what they, they were really about. So this dissension descended upon the Antioch church and upon what God was doing, a wonderful thing. And then here these guys come, yeah. And, and, and they're just caught up in their thing, you know, their political, social thing, their traditional and, and their whole religious thing. I remember way back, you know, when we were in Kalama school, and we were meeting in there. I forgot how many years were we, were we there, but we are in the Kalama school cafeteria over here, and um, it was nice, you know, it was nice for us and everything. God blessed us with the opportunity there. We had a whole bunch of classrooms and all that, too. Um, but I remember someone basically telling me in a conversation that, oh, you meet at Kalama, well, you're not a real church because you don't have, your, like, your own building kind of thing. In their mind, you know, the, the, a church should be, well, have their own building, and that validates it. But we know the church is not a building, but the church is the people. Right. So sometimes people get these things stuck in their minds. 
I, I think this is like these Jews here. Politically, think about this. They are like caught up in they're the chosen people, right? They're, we're the chosen race. So the Gentiles got to follow us. They got to do what we do because God chose us. So politically, they are up there. Socially, in, in a similar sense, the Jews were superior. God had given them the scriptures, you know. And so we know, we know what God wants, the laws of Moses and all. Traditionally, well, we've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And why change? Would God really have us change? God wouldn't do that at all. And while religiously, sadly, that's what they thought doing the rituals was, that's what it meant to be a follower of God. So they were all caught up in that. And so the dissension came from these Judaizers. All their concern was that political, social, traditional, and religious kind of things, yeah? And so, you know what the sad thing? In their, in their way, they're caught up in that, in, in that they come into the church there. Sadly, and I say wickedly, they come in and they're sowing dissension. They're sowing the dissension. And isn't that what the enemy does? When things are going really great, God has done a wonderful thing. I mean, Paul and Barnabas come back with this awesome testimony and then here's these guys. Oh, no, no, that's not it. That's not right. And let me tell you, I, as a, a pastor, I, I see this repeated frequently over and over. No, I see it with my pastor friends, their church, their ministry. Well, you've seen it in our church, too, that, oh, things are going great. Then all of a sudden, here comes something. Or here comes someone complaining. Or here comes something. No, that wasn't right. That's not how you do things, Right? whether it's politically or socially, traditionally, or some ritual agenda, that they see only that, that it doesn't line up to what they think it should be, and they come in and sow seeds of discord, dissension, and sadly, the devil uses that to divide the body. Watch out. That we don't grab things that we don't think about first. Is this the Lord or not? Is the Holy Spirit yeah, leading me? Is, it, is, it, is this me? Am I holding on to maybe some traditions that, well, I'm just used to this. I mean, I understand these Jews, right? They grew up this way. This is all they knew. They're like, what? what? How can we go against that? And we're going to get into that uh, next week or maybe the week after of what James says later in this chapter. And he makes an official a decision and statement of, of this and why he does that. But, you know, it was really to help these guys who are just so locked into this and so they won't let go, you know. Gentiles, well, they don't know anything, so they're like, yeah, whatever, you know. But the Jews were locked into this thing. And so we have to be careful that we're not so locked into something that if God is leading us into something else or he's leading the church or he's doing a work that we're so blind to that because whether it's politically, socially, traditionally, or even ritually, religiously. So this is number one, the dissension that started here. Let's go to number two, the difference, the difference. Verse three through five here. Uh, let's take a look at verse three and four, first of all. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. 
When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. We'll stop right there. Now, here's Paul and Barnabas and these other guys. They were sent out from Antioch, so they went down south. They traveled all the way to Jerusalem to meet with the church there in Jerusalem. But on the way now, they, they stopped at these fellowships here. They, they, they stopped there. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. And remember, Samaria had, the, had a great revival, right, with Philip and everything we, we studied early on, and Phoenicia, the area next to it. So there's, there's a lot of things God was doing, a lot of churches, so they stopped by. And, and, and they were sharing how Jesus saved the Gentiles. And, and, and I like this, how it says in um, end of verse 3, and that brought great joy to all the believers. People are happy. People are excited. God is on the move. Uh, however that song goes. But, you know, the, the Lord, right, is moving. There's this revival going on. The Holy Spirit's moving. Oh, yeah, wow, wow, you know. So, so I believe like Antioch, the churches in Phoenicia in the area, the churches in Samaria, uh, they were excited. But not only that, when they got to Jerusalem, the apostles and elders are, wow, they, they, they were just listening to all that God had done. And don't you love that? Remember we saw that last time, how Paul and Barnabas, it wasn't like, well, this is what I did, you know. This is what we did. No, they, they gave glory to God. They declared all the work that God had done. You remember, remember the theme for the book of Acts? Our theme is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of believers. That's what Acts is all about. And, and so this is what they're doing. They're declaring what God has done, not them, what God has done. And that brought great joy. I was thinking how we know the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 5 right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, gentleness, goodness. Well, anyway, yeah. But I just want to focus on the first two. Yeah, love and then what? Joy. So I was thinking about that. I thought there's love and joy. You know what? I think the people, because of the spirit moving, they're, they're filled with love. Love for the Gentiles. Love for those who are being saved. And they, they were filled with joy. And when the Spirit moves, I believe those things are there. That's the fruit of the Spirit. I believe love flows. I believe there's a joy in our heart that no matter what we're going through and the Spirit is here, we just sense this. Yeah? Uh, I always think about it. It's like God takes a little drop of joy from heaven and, and drop, you know, like an eye drop, and it goes, doot, and I go, oh, that's all I need, Lord, right? That's all I need. When we worship you, when we're in your word, if I just, oh, get your spirit, a little drop of joy, I can go on the next day. Well, that's what I think what was going on here. The spirit was moving, the power of the spirit, God was moving, people were getting saved, Jew and Gentile, especially these Gentiles finding Jesus Christ in that way. And so people, they're filled with that love for them. They're filled with that joy. But the sad thing is, not you know, everyone's filled with joy, Phoenicia, Samaria, I believe Jerusalem too. But the sad thing is that not everyone had that joy. And look at verse 5. But some believers who belong to what? The party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. There they are again, right? They're showing up there Again, 
just like, and this is what I believe what Luke is kind of reporting for us here, that verse 1, but some guys came down. Maybe they followed them, yeah, all the way to Jerusalem. And then now they're in Jerusalem. They're sharing all this. But, again, verse 5, some believers who belong to a party of Pharisees. Now, um, it seems like they came to Christ. It seems like they believe that they are believers. I hope they were. But they're still stuck with the law. They're still stuck in circumcision. There's still a little tweak there. And they belong to the party of the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees, they were the sticklers on following the law, right? Out of all of them, uh, they were the ones that proud about following the law. So these guys come in. What a bunch of Debbie Downers. Is that what you call them, right? Yeah. I mean, there's great joy. Yeah, we're loving on the Gentiles. No. You can't do that. You know, Eeyore walks in. That's really great. You know, kind of thing, right? So on one side, people are rejoicing. But on the other side, people are what? Criticizing. Criticizing. You know, someone, um, I thought this was interesting, uh, put it this way. You know, you have two sides. Someone said this. There are those who bring joy every time you are with them. But on the other hand, there are some who bring joy whenever they leave. <laughs> Hopefully you bring joy. <laughs> but it, there should be joy from the work of God, right? There should be joy from, from the Spirit moving. There should be excitement and, and from all this testimony. But some people bring this darkness, not the light. Some people come in this way. So... The difference in response was because, you know what, these Judaizers didn't care about what God was doing, but what they wanted done. And just folding it into here, what we talked about in the last section too. They, they didn't care about all that, the testimony. They didn't run into that. They only cared about what they wanted done, what they wanted. You know, there was a time I was thinking about this in, in my younger days, and when I was more, how come you're laughing when I say younger? No, but no, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Um, you know, when I was spiritually more immature in my walk and on, I remember we, I would go like, I would sit in church, or they, they have like a, a guest person maybe doing worship or something, or I go to some conference or invited to some conference or something, and I go and sit there, and I, I, I remember I'd be sitting there and going, Man, you know, the second string on the guitar is slightly out of tune. How, how, come, how could he not hear that? You know, oh, it, it's terrible, you know. Or that singer's, you know, their intonation is just, just off there. Oh, man, th those guys are terrible. And, you know, being a sound person, too, I, I start hearing things. I felt, feel like going back there and go, hey, turn this knob or, you know, do this kind of thing and, and et cetera, et cetera. I go, yeah, I'm looking at, why they hang the speakers? Like, and seriously, I'd, I'd be sitting there doing the worship, you know. And even, you know, the, uh, the pastor comes out, the speaker comes out, they're talking like, why is the mic like that? Oh, they should like EQ. It sounds horrible. Come on, you guys, you know. But I was convicted one day. God broke in all of that noise in my head. And interrupt all my nonsense, and 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 he's like, you know what? What what is? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, you're focusing on what you like done. You know, you're focusing on you and your thing and and that. 
And you're missing out on what's really going on. And, you know, when I was able to just release that, I mean, really, I was in bondage. But to really be free of that and release that, it didn't matter anymore, you know. And I could just worship the Lord oh, and feel the spirit and the presence of God. I could hear God speak through the, the person up front, you know, giving the study. And, and, and I was blocking that with my own stuff. And I was missing what God was doing. My heart needed to be purified, you guys. And, and, and like in Galatians 5.20, it's like work, the works of the flesh is enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. That was what I was catering to inside my heart. And that's not right. That's the flesh. It's not the spirit. And the spirit battles against the flesh, right? And the flesh against the spirit. And I was just giving into that side. And I'll tell you, I, I, I was more about me and what I wanted rather than looking for what God was doing. I'll tell you, uh, I remember um, our mission trip to um, Thailand, and we went to see Rose over there, and um, I remember we got in a, in this, in, we were in this big room, our missionary team, and the whole orphanage, and the high school kids were, were leading worship. And I, I'll tell you that the cars are, the, the Guitars, guitars were out of tune. Uh, they weren't great singers. Uh, they were even singing another language, you know. But I could recognize, like, power of your love. But I'll tell you, just setting all that aside didn't matter. And that was probably one of the best worship times I ever had, you know. So we got to watch out that we're not just so focused in on what I want in the flesh and grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's check our hearts, you guys. Matter of fact, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Because this kind of thinking can, you know, these guys are coming in. Hey, they got to do this. They got to do that. No, no, no. That's not right. That doctrine isn't right. Well, it, it tends to work up the flesh. But if you look at Ephesians 4 verse 30, Paul writes, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom... You were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, I'm sure these Pharisees guys were getting bitter, wrath and anger, I'm sure they're getting upset, clamor, that's like talking out loud and, and shouting all, and I'm sure they're very, they got very passionate, slander, be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ has forgiven you. So, you, so that, those attitudes, check your heart, even right now. You know? And I know we have maybe strong feelings or convictions and stuff. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But when it turns into the flesh, that's when it's wrong. Well, so we see, number one, you could go, to, go back to Acts 15. We see the dissension, the difference. And now number three the discussion. And so, again, this is, we're going to only take part of this tonight. We're going to uh, take the rest um, next time. But we're going to take this first part from verse 6 through 11. That's the rest of uh, our passage for tonight, the discussion. So, let's take a look at these verses. Matter of fact, we'll just read them all. Verse 6, the apostle 
and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now... Therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But, verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Well, so the council of apostles and elders in verse 6, they gathered together to consider the matter at hand. Should Gentiles be circumcised? Should they be made to follow the law of Moses like these believers who are the party of the Pharisees were, were pushing? Should they do that? Paul and Barnabas, we know what, what they were preaching. And so they gathered together as this council to talk about this. Now, I was reading some commentaries, like some were saying, well, this is the whole church getting together. Others were saying, no, this is the council of these elders and apostles, Paul and Barnabas, and maybe even perhaps some of those uh, Pharisee um, elder guy, or maybe they're elders too, and they're Pharisees, but they were there too, because uh, it's almost like what Peter said was they're in this little discussion. Well, how about that? You know, kind of thing. But perhaps I, I kind of tend to lean toward that it was a council of guys to, to tackle this, to hash through this and talk about this. And, and what we're going to see here in, in, in uh, some of this now and some of this next time is that there's three main testimonies given in this council meeting. Peter, which we just read, he's going to speak about the past. Paul and Barnabas, we'll see next time in verse 12, he, they're going to talk about the present of what God had been doing. And then James is going to talk about what was prophesied for the future, what Scripture has seen. So we see past, present, uh, future here in this meeting that they're having. But tonight we're going to just look at Peter, who, who goes back, actually, goes to the past, and testifies of what God has done. So he begins here now. He, um, he stands up after much debate in verse 7, and he's like, hey, hey, you guys, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth, it was me, you remember, that the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God sent me first to the Gentiles. Remember, we saw that uh, back in Acts 10. You remember how the, the Lord came to Peter? He was praying and all this, and maybe he smelt lunch, remember, being cooked. But all of a sudden, this sheet came down, and there was all these animals, clean and unclean, on this sheet, if you remember. And the Lord told him, uh, kill and eat, slaughter them and eat. And with the unclean animals, like Peter's like, no, Lord, I, I've never done that. No, I, I don't need the the. Oh, I only eat kosher, right? I don't eat the unclean things, the things that we're not allowed as Jews to eat. But that, that vision God repeated three times to make sure Peter got it. Sometimes I need to be told three times before I get it, too, from the Lord. But, but so it was very clear that the Lord was using the food to represent that. You know what? The Gentiles 
they can come to know Jesus Christ. And, 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 and the gospel is open to them too. So Peter's talking about that incident way back in Acts chapter 10. Now notice in verse 7, uh, he says, Brothers, you know that in the early days, right? God chose me to go to the Gentiles. Uh, one commentator said that at this point in time, in chapter 15, it had been 10 years since Peter saw that vision of the sheet and went uh, to Cornelius, remember, and, and preached, and him and the whole household believed and were saved. It was 10 years now. So that's why in the early days, this is Peter saying, we're looking at, remember, in the past. So Peter's saying, look, remember what God established before. Remember what God established before. This is the first thing he brings up. He, he, he's saying, look, remember, you guys, I'm like you. I'm a Jew. And I had this revelation now to bring Jesus to the Gentiles. Peter's like, look, you know, I'm a Jew too, you guys. I, I grew up like you did. I was steeped in the Jewish ways, but you, you know the story. You know how the Lord spoke to me with the sheet and everything. I've been trained to follow the law. I've been set into, in my prejudice of things. And, and, and I, I understand, you know, hey, uh, um, we've been separate, right? And I'm talking from the Gentiles, and we've been separate, and I'm talking to you from Jew to Jew. And that, that's what he's trying to say. He's saying, look, I, I'm a proud Jew too, but you know what? God changed me. Remember what happened in the past. Remember what God established before. And then he says, number two, remember the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Remember that evidence? So in verse 8, he's like, and God, who knows the heart, like the heart of the Gentiles, bore witness to them like, like spoke to them the truth of the gospel uh, through the Spirit and giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Remember the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius. Peter's just sharing the gospel and all of a sudden they believe and they start speaking in tongues as evidence that the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And so Peter's like, hey, the Holy Spirit fell. Remember that? Remember I shared that? Remember just like us. On the day of Pentecost, when we were filled with the Spirit, and there was evidence through that, uh, um, at that time, there was evidence through speaking in tongues. He's like, that, that, that's like us. That's what happened. And so we see, verse 9, that God made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. They were forgiven. They were saved. Their hearts were cleansed. So he's like, remember the evidence of the Holy Spirit, what all that meant? You know what he's trying to say? There was no circumcision first, right? I didn't say, hold on. Before I share the gospel, every one of you, you got to be circumcised. No, none of that. He just started sharing Jesus, and the Spirit came. And it was by faith, and it was evident by the Holy Spirit's work there. I remember... Um, Peter, remember Acts 10, he wasn't alone there. It wasn't just him. Other guys came with him. Other Jewish guys came. In Acts 10, 45, it says, And the believers from among the circumcised, that means Jews, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, what? Even on the Gentiles. 
So here's Peter. Look, remember the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Remember what God established before. And then thirdly, Peter's like, remember how our Jewish efforts didn't save at all. Our Jewish efforts didn't save at all. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? Like, why are you challenging him with this? By placing a yoke, you know, like the... The oxen had the, the yoke around their neck to, with the plow attached to it. And that was like this heavy burden on them. By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, these Gentiles, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. So it's like, why, why are we putting this on them? Why would we do that when we ourselves couldn't even live up to it? When we ourselves carried this heavy weight, remember when we came to the Lord, that was lifted. We were, we were saved, saved by Jesus. Now, from, with what we did. Did you know that in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there are 613 commandments. So if you think about not just the 10, that's including the 10, but if it's like, well, you got to follow Moses' law. you got to be circumcised. you got, you got to do all this to be saved. Who can do that, right? Who can really live up to that? I was reading how you're supposed to also, um, there's the, the uh, 18 prayers that are in what is called the Shemoneth Esra. You are to pray that three times a day at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. I mean, who can keep that up? 18 prayers now, right? I mean, I'm so busy. I mean, I, you know, do you pray during the day? I try to, right? You know, but can you imagine all that that you're supposed to do to be saved? So Peter's like, why require circumcision, the law, when we ourselves couldn't even, you know, fulfill it? We couldn't do it ourselves. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need him. That's why only in Jesus can we be saved. That's what Peter's starting to bring out here. Warren Wiersbe said, what the law could not do, God did through his son. I love that. I love that. So here is Peter. Remember what God established before? I mean, this was, say, 10 years back, you guys. Has that changed? Remember the evidence of the Holy Spirit? These guys were really saved. We didn't see any of this. You have to be circumcised to be saved. No, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And remember, even ourselves, we can testify that our efforts, our Jewish efforts, didn't save us. So is God reversing this now? After all these years, God like saying, oh, no, no, we, 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 we got to add this. Is, is he changing any? Of this that we had learned directly from the, our Lord ourselves? No, not at all. Because in verse 11, he says, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So the conclusion is, you know what? It's the same as it was back then. It's the same now as it, as it is for us, as it is for them, as it is for them, as it is for us. We, we're not saved by our circumcision. We're not saved by following the law. We're saved because we believe in Jesus Christ. We're saved through grace, not works. That's the idea. Not following the law, but by the grace that's given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ.
If that is for us, so it will be for the Gentiles. We are saved by grace just as they will be. We know it very well, don't we? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is what? A gift. A gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. You know, sometimes I think as human beings, it's like, what? That, that's too easy. What? No, no, I got to do something. Why do we always have to do something? I know it could be maybe our own pride so we can boast. You know, can, can you imagine if it wasn't this way, but you can boast about, about your works, you'd be in heaven. You know what I did? <laughs> Look what I did, you know. Look what I gave. Look what I did. That got me in. You know, it, it's all pr- pride and being proud and all that. Um, sometimes we think that, well, if we do something, it makes us feel better, right? I mean, how many times, like, maybe we, we, we fell or, you know, sinned and, and, oh, God, please forgive me. Okay, first John 9, you know, confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins. But then we still feel like, okay, God, I, I know I'm forgiving, but I want to do something because it's, I, I don't know, it'll just make me feel better. But that, again, that's about me, right? about what, what, what I want to do. But it is in our own doing, as the verse says. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of any works at all. So the discussion moved into Peter testifying of the past, and this is the last thing, last point is uh, that, and God had already shown salvation is by grace alone, by grace alone. God has done the work, you guys. Jesus did that on the cross when he atoned for our sins. John MacArthur put it this way, Grace then is the free effort on God's part to save men. Do you see? Grace is free. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to pay for it. We don't have to do anything special. Salvation in Christ, you know, it does not cost anything. You know why? Because it's based on what what costs Christ. That's the reality. It doesn't cost us anything because it's based on what it costs Christ. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. So we can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. We can get right with God. And we can have eternal life. So salvation isn't based on what we do. But it's based on what Christ did. Now, let me ask you, can uh, those of you who, who have Jesus, who believe, right, can you say confidently, I am saved? Can you? I've met Christians like, well, I hope so. I hope I'll get into heaven. I remember I was, I was talking to a guy recently, and he kind of talked that way. And I said, no, you know what? Christ is our assurance. We know we're going to be in heaven. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. It's like, it's like his old thinking was coming out. And we think, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to do something. Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? Sometimes our old ways of doing something to please God or gain his acceptance starts coming out when the reality is I am saved. Not because of anything I deserve. Or not because of anything I've done. Or not because of anything I am. It's none of that. But it's because of all that Christ 
is in what he has done. That's what it's about here. This is what Peter's getting back to here. Bringing them all. Look, we believe that we will be saved. We are saved through what? The grace of the Lord Jesus. God just gave it to us. That's the grace. It's just a gift to us. He held it out to us. That's the grace. That's how the Gentiles came to the Lord, and that's how we, we did. That's what he's saying. We Jews, it was none of this other stuff. It was by Jesus Christ alone. And isn't this wonderful that Christ did all the work? He died on the cross. He, he paid the price. And all we have to do is what? Believe what he did. Just believe. He's holding that gift of salvation. How do we receive it? We believe. We believe what he has done. Remember, this is a gift, right? Uh, Ephesians 9 through 9 said. It's a gift. What, what if, like, um, and if you really want to do this, you, you can, but what if you bought me a car? <laughs> I mean, if you feel led, only if the Lord yeah, leads you that. What if you bought me a car? I mean, of course, I'd be happy and and, you know, I feel loved by you. I'll, I'll be humble. Oh, I don't feel worthy. I'll be super touched. But what if you gave me a car and then I, I grab my checkbook and go, okay, well, well, how much do I owe you? No, it's a gift. I gave it to you. This is a gift. You gifted me a car. Well, well no, let me at least pay for part of it. No, it's a gift to you. If, if you pay for it, it's not a gift. Right? Well, I'll do something for you. Let, let me, uh, I'll make, oh, I can't really cook. But I, I could try, and uh, you might not like it. But hey, I'll, I'll do something. No, you can't. It's not a gift if you do something for that, right? That's, that's like with God. Salvation is a free gift, and faith is how we receive it. And if we try and add some works to it, if we try and do something for it, it, it that's not a gift anymore. Salvation is a gift. Grace is free. Paul wrote in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to get more into this, but let me just say this. Think, think about this. If we try and add works or add something to, you know, to do to deserve God's love or, or his salvation or gain acceptance... You know what? We're like saying this. You know, Jesus, I know you died on the cross. I know you gave your life and sacrificed everything. You shed your blood for me and all of that. But I got to get circumcised, you know, or I got to do this thing. And, and you know what we're telling Jesus? That wasn't enough. But it was enough. It was enough. He gave us all, right? So we don't want to do that to Christ. We don't want to do that. And if we do that, even if we go back to works, it's like Paul was writing Galatians 2, the, the, uh, 2.21. It's like, did Christ then die for no reason at all? No. He died so he can give us that free gift of salvation. So the grace that God gives is given free. The salvation comes at no cost, nothing. That's just believing. I'll close with this. When uh, Billy Graham was driving through a small town, he got a ticket for speeding. <laughs> All right, Billy Graham's a human, right? Um, um, 
So he goes to court, and the court's like, you know what, uh, how do you plead? He's a guilty. And they just say, okay, well, it's um, $10 for every mile, so, um, or a dollar for every mile. It was a long time ago. And he's like, so uh, you're fined $10. It happened a long time ago. And then suddenly the judge recognized, oh, wait, you're Billy Graham, right? Oh, yeah. You know, Billy Graham, you violated the law, and the fine must be paid, but you know what? I'm going to pay it for you. So the judge took a $10 bill out of his own wallet, attached it to the ticket, and then he said, come on, I'm going to take you out and buy you dinner. Later, Billy Graham said, that is how God treats repentant sinners. Grace. Grace. And grace is free. Let's pray. God, thank you that you give us grace, Lord. Thank you for the daily grace we need, God. Thank you that for the sufficient grace that helps us with all our needs. Thank you for the grace that is in salvation, Lord. That we didn't have to do anything, but you gave us your love, God. Salvation, undeservedly, Lord, and that's grace. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we can do to even earn it, God. But you still, with your love, gave us your grace. God, help us to understand that tonight. I mean, most of us know what grace is, but to really bring it deep into our hearts and our lives to the point where, okay, I understand, God. It's not about what I've done or who I am or what I was in the past, but it's about your love and grace toward me about how you reached out to me. And Lord, I pray that we would have less periods or moments where we're condemning ourselves or we're or, or putting ourselves down, thinking, oh, I can't do this, I'm not worthy, I, oh, I failed here, I've fallen or I sinned. And, 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 and not to condone sin, but we don't want the enemy to use that as handles to push us down farther. But we want to understand, God, your love and grace is there for us. That your blood forgives us of our sins, Lord. And it's not just the past uh, when we came to be saved, but it's the present and future. And again, it's not to make an excuse for sin, but to understand that. Thank you, God. Your grace is there. And Lord, as your grace is free, I find freedom, Lord, in that grace. I'm not burdened on my performance anymore. I can be all that you want me to be, and I pray for that for all of us right now, God. In understanding your grace and the truth that is in that, that that truth will set us free. Free, God, because you died and rose again. Free because you love us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.